Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. There's a new film festival coming to Charlottesville. The Indie Short Film Festival will run from March 22nd to 24th and will include up to 100 international and domestic short films. There'll be Q&As after the screenings, a screenwriting competition, and more. I'll have a link on the webpage for this show at tvjerry.com. She just asked me to shoot only during the afternoon. So she said, I will be there at 1 p.m. During the morning, no, I can't. That was director Christian Carillon talking about working with 93-year-old Lynn Renault when shooting Driving Madeline, which is now playing at Movie Land. The film takes a charming cab ride with her character, who's headed to a nursing home, but it takes some unexpected dark turns. Carillon talked with me from Paris about the challenges and joys of making the movie. Sifter, review of the week. For the second week in a row, I'm going to review the film that I'm talking about in this podcast. Driving Madeline, now playing at Movie Land. A troubled French cab driver picks up a 93-year-old woman and drives her across Paris to her nursing home. Their journey includes stops by important places in her life, but also features flashbacks to her younger self. What starts as a seemingly sweet little old lady develops into a surprisingly sad but ultimately uplifting history. Lynn Renault is magic with her sparkling eyes and wistful demeanor, while driver Danny Boone captures the complexity of his character as the ride changes his outlook. Director Christian Carillon has effectively dramatized the revelations with authority and added some cinematic style for the retro scenes. This is a charming two-hander that explores love, regret, forgiveness, and happiness with two winning performances. I gave Driving Madeline four out of five stars. Christian Carillon, welcome to Sifter for the Ear. You started your career in agricultural engineering. Yeah. You had a family of farmers. How did you decide, wait a minute, I'm going to be a filmmaker instead of a farmer? I wanted to be a, a filmmaker when I was 10 or 12. I don't remember exactly. It was a kind of very naive and like a fantasy. Right. My wish was to tell a story. I tried to offer to my parents the pleasure to have a, a son engineer. Uh, and when I get my plum to be uh, an engineer, I say to myself, well, what I have to do, my duty, and now I want to do what I love to do. Uh-huh. So I start to make some short movies during my holidays. Mm-hmm. And because I met the right people, well, I was able to make a first long movie. So what inspired you to take on Driving Madeline? Well, you know, at the beginning, it's just a script. I received my email and by reading the script. At the end, you know, I was crying. Oh, wow. So I said to myself, well, there is something in that story who moved me a lot. You know, I watched it. I thought, oh, this is going to be a sweet little story about a sweet little lady. And then it's like, oh, my goodness, she had quite a past. <laughs> it was quite a surprise what went on. It's very dark, but very interesting. And, and the basic plot, just for those who obviously haven't seen it yet, is a 93-year-old woman who is being moved to a nursing home against her will, but she has to. And she takes a cab with this grumpy cab driver. And the whole movie is basically their experience as they drive to her destination with flashbacks from her past. Now, I know that Danny Boone and Lean Renault were friends before the film. Oh, yeah. What was their relationship and how did that help make the relationship in the film stronger? Danny knows Lean for 40 years now. Wow. And he used to say that uh, she's her second mom. So they are very close. For instance, Danny uh, introduced me to Lean 20 years ago because of Joyeux Noël. 
footnote. Joyeux Noël was the first feature that Christian shot in 2005. It's about a Christmas truce among soldiers during World War One. And uh, she came to the for the screening, and at the end, she said to me, "I would love to work with you," but it was 20 years ago. Uh huh. But. Choosing her and him, I knew that something special would happen because they know each other so so well. Right. So there is a very special chemistry between these two actors for sure in the movie. Now, Lean Renault recorded Relaxez-vous with Dean Martin. The more you earn, the less you learn to relaxez-vous. We French, you'll find our more inclined to relaxez-vous. That's a wild story. What's that about? Maybe you don't know, but Lynn Renault spent 15 years in Las Vegas. Ah, no, I didn't know that. In the casino, she was a, a dancer, and so she was close to Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, all these guys of that time. The Rat Pack. Exactly. And she was a very good singer, too. And Dean, uh, the producers, decided to make a duo, and they recorded at the end of the 50s in Los Angeles. Wow, wow. And I think you used that during the film? Not during the film, but did you use that song <laughs> before the shooting? Yeah, well, during the hairdressing. You know, I, I used to come and spend time with her to talking about many, many things, and especially to listen to that song. Gives her inspiration, I guess. Yeah. Were there some special considerations you had to take into account working with her? You mentioned that, you know, she gets tired more quickly. She was fine, you know, she was really excited. She just asked me to shoot only during the afternoon. Oh, wow. So she said, I will be there at 1 p.m. till whatever you want during the morning. No, I can't. So during the morning, we were shooting her past. Oh, right. With okay. young actors. Right. What happened before. But we were in the same place, you know, we have a big studio, a corner dedicated to the car, mm -hmm. and uh, the other corner dedicated to the apartment of the 50s and 60s. Cool. Well, that's very convenient. I know how she is because at my age, I'm like, I don't like to do anything before 10 a.m. in the morning. So, you know, <laughs> by the time I get to 90, it'll be one o'clock, too. You got to enjoy those mornings. Now, you mentioned the earlier scenes. That was a perfect segue. I know that Alice Zaz. You mentioned her, their eyes are different colors. She plays the younger version of the character. So how did you deal with that? Yeah, you make me remember we have a dinner before shooting because Lynn wanted to meet Alice. Mm -hmm. She said she would be my character younger. I need right. to know her. Okay, don't worry. So, you know, as usual in France, when we want to meet someone, you have to go to a restaurant. We need to have a dinner. Right. So we had a dinner. And at the end, she said, she's great. She's really a nice person. And I'm very happy to know she will be me younger. But she doesn't have my eyes. And I said, Lynn, no one on earth <laughs> has your eyes. Because they're beautiful. She has a very special blue eyes, as you, you saw. And, um, and I said, Lynn, we will try to do our best. We will put some, you know, artificial contact uh, lens. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And even in post-production, we can change a little the color of her eyes, but it will never be yours. Uh -huh. And I can tell you, if someone stand up because the, blue, the eyes is not so blue than Lynn Renault, it means the movie is very bad. 
<laughs> right, right. They're not paying attention to the right things. No. Right. Now, of course, a lot of this film took place in a cab, and I know that was processed in what we call here now the volume, which is not just green screen, it's LED screens all around them. Is that the first time you've worked in that technology? Yeah. Other than the not having to drive around in traffic, how was it better? How does it make it more interesting and more effective for you as a director and for the actors? I decided to do this way because I said to my crew, I will not take any risk with a lady who is uh, 93. Right. I don't want to shoot in Paris in a normal situation because it will be a nightmare. Mm -hmm. She's going to die and we will die with her. <laughs> so no, I don't want to do this way. And uh, so I wanted to be in the studio, like you explained, to have the best uh, Lynn Renault. She was relaxed. She, You know, because shooting really in the city, you have to do it again. Uh, you have to, to go back, you right. know, uh, to wait for the weather because there is a cloud in front of the sun. So you lose your energy. Right. In the studio, in this way, listening to Relaxable, we were much more uh, happy and we were more in energy. And that's why I do believe she's so great in the movie. Uh -huh. She is. She's wonderful. Everything was easy. How did you find it was different from just working in the old process where it's just a projection on the screen behind them? Because this was more interactive for them too, wasn't it? Yeah, they were deeply in the situation. The most important is the preparation because it means for us two months before we spent hours in Paris shooting by day, by night, under the rain, under the sun, shooting north, south, east, west, even the sky. Uh -huh. to get, you know, the more pictures we could. And then we make a huge work of editing to keep the best Paris on our screens around the car. Now, there's also, I'm assuming, interactive lighting, because sometimes when you see light go by, their faces light. So you had lighting doing that as well, right? It's not just reflections. Exactly. It's a good question. There is no artificial light in the movie. It's just the light coming from the screens. Oh, wow around the car. That's cool. why I decided to shoot the sky because there was, there was a screen above the car right. and the movement, the difference of light of the sky has an impact in, on the light inside the car. So everything was more real for your eyes when you watch. So I guess you had to have a real bike rider in that one scene where he bangs up against the car. That was a person on the set banging up against the car between them yeah. and the screen. <laughs> you were there or what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, you know many, many things. Uh, congrats. Uh, yes. Uh, sometimes, because when you put uh, your feet on, on the brakes, there is a movement of a car. So we did it from outside with people and we learned to do it because it's not so easy, you know? And uh, so there is a special guy for brakes. <laughs> oh, wow. And uh, it was very good. Obviously, you had the convenience of being in a studio. The classic way you do a film, of course, is you shoot one camera on one person, then you shoot one camera on the other person, and maybe a two-shot. Since you were in the studio, did you have the luxury of having one camera for Lean the whole time and one camera for Danny, and then maybe a third camera for a two-shot so you could do it all together and made the continuity better and easier to edit, or did you shoot separately? As usual, you know, the key was the energy. Right. Because... You can understand that in 92, you have less energy than 43. <laughs> we try to shoot the most we can very quickly. Uh -huh. So it means for us, 
during the preparation to be able to have, yes, two cameras inside the car. Yes, it's another point, a good point for that system for us because we were quicker. The younger flashback stuff was more stylized. It was more light and dark. The stuff in Paris was brighter and kind of more flat in a way in terms of the lighting was more general. Yeah, exactly. In, in the flashbacks, the, the lighting was more dramatic. It was more period feeling. I'm assuming you chose that on purpose because nowadays you see so many TV shows and movies where they don't delineate between past and present. It's just suddenly, oh, wait, now we're back in the 50s. What gave you that decision to make the 50s look more stylized and different from the current day stuff? You really watch the movie. Thank you. I decided to do this way because, as you know, in the story, she's, uh, she fell in love with a GI. Right. And she fell in love with jazz. You know, the tribute of the U.S. for her is music. The tribute of the U.S. for me is cinema, especially Hitchcock movie. Right. Hitchcock is my master. Mm -hmm. is my, I didn't make any school. So I learned to make cinema by watching a lot of movies. Right. So when I work on this movie, I said to myself, this is the right moment to make a kind of homage to Alfred Hitchcock. Uh -huh. Because we were in a studio and I push the way of thinking about Hitchcock by shooting putting the music of the Hitchcock movies. I was going to mention shoot. that, the Bernard Herrmann, very obvious, especially when she goes to serve her husband the drink. I'm like, my goodness, we're right out of Bernard Herrmann. Yeah, exactly. Footnote. Bernard Herrmann is a noted film composer with a distinctive style. He's best known for Alfred Hitchcock classics like Psycho and Vertigo, in addition to many more films, including Citizen Kane. The, the, the composer, uh, Philippe Rombi, is a great fan of Bernard Herrmann. It's a kind of some sort of way of Bernard Herrmann. So I knew he, he could do it. Right. And when we shot, we didn't have the music of uh, Philippe Rompi, of course. Right. But uh, I put the, the music of Psycho. Oh, wow. When she prepares, you know, the glass of whiskey. Right. You don't prepare this glass of whiskey in the same way because of the music. Exactly. You don't walk when she comes to, to her husband and says, this is your glass. The way she walks, it's because of the music. Right. You know, I do believe that the music, the atmosphere, influence a lot the way the actor can play. So by listening all the time during every morning, <laughs> psycho music, I can tell you they were ready. You <laughs> should have very special moments when they are together. Now, you mentioned music, and of course, the songs in the film are all American, Dinah Washington and Etta James, and they're in English, obviously. So why did you pick those songs as opposed to any French songs from the period or another period? No, because they were close to uh, the story of um, of Madeleine. I mean, she, was, she fell in love with this GI, she fell in love with jazz, and I said to myself, I need, so jazz songs, right? but I need songs from women, uh -huh. especially black women, because Etta James, Dina Washington, they have to work because of the racism in the US, they will have to work much more than white women. Right. And their voice are so magnificent. I mean, yes. amazing, you know, especially I, I'm a big fan of Etta James. Yeah. And the song of Dina Washington, A Bitter Earth, was exactly because 
you know the lines, you know the words, so you understand what she, what she is singing. It is exactly the right moment in the movie for Madeleine herself. And it, it's interesting because, of course, as you know, it echoes the politics of the time, as you mentioned a little bit there. Uh, there are a couple of little kind of Easter eggs, we call them in America. Yep. The poster of Simon Viel. Footnote. Simon Viel was a French political figure, best known as the first woman president of the European Parliament. She's also remembered for advancing women's rights, which is why her photo is relevant to the film. To anybody listening to this, after the, the two of them have dinner, they're walking down the street, and if you look to a, a bus stop there, there's a very subtle, but it's very obvious, sign of her. What was the story behind that? Why did you want to put Simon Ville's face in that shot? It was an accident. Oh, well, oh, okay, okay. I thought it was making a feminist statement. Yeah, we were not. It's not. A, we didn't do anything. I mean, we were shooting in Paris by night. Right. And at that time, there is an exposition. You know, uh, mm -hmm. a special moment. Let's remember Simon Veil. And so that's why we have lots of pictures of Simon Veil everywhere. Uh -huh. uh, but it's moving. It's changing. And I don't. We can't do anything on this. Right. So. Thanks God. I mean, the, the moment they decided to go to the, the, the taxi, then Simon Vey appeared. Uh -huh. It's magic. Things were going right for you. Now, there was also a plaque about two men who were killed by Nazis. What was the import of that? Why did she go visit that? And why was that in the movie? Because it was her father. Oh, okay. There is a name uh, named Keller. Keller was his father, so she didn't go to uh, the graveyard or whatever. She wanted to say goodbye at the place where himself died. Uh -huh. so I always watch the credits, every movie, all the way to the end. During the first part of the credits, you have that wonderful romantic dance number that she had with the GI that you mentioned at the beginning. Yep. Was that originally supposed to be in the film and you decided it was too long and you cut it and just moved it to the credits or was it always designed to go at the end of the movie like that? No, um, during the editing, I, I decided to shoot this moment because it was not in the script. Oh, okay. There are several scenes which was not in the script I decided to shoot. This one is one of them. And I didn't know exactly. Maybe we can start the movie with this. I don't know exactly. But at the end, it was obvious for me that we couldn't stop with her, you know, lying on the bed and switch on the light. Uh, it was too... Sad. Too, too sad, exactly. Yeah, right. So I wanted to give to the audience... The time for them to come back and by watching this lovely kiss between these two, the, the, the best moment of her life once again. And now what were some of the other things you decided to add that I didn't catch? I was frustrated because during the morning I shoot with a young actors and afternoon with Lynn and Danny. So there was no connection between Lynn and Alice. Mm-hmm. Except when we have this dinner. Right, right. <laughs> and she said, she doesn't have my blue eyes. So I imagine this moment when they are together, sitting on the back of a taxi. And, ah. you know, they look each, at each other. So I say to the two actresses, I would love to do a moment when we are together in the taxi. And let's see what you will do. And she said to me, but is it not in the script? And there is no, no reason for us to be together. You say, yes, I know, but sometime uh, let's open the door of fantasy. Exactly. And you say, well, why not? So they sit on the taxi and I put behind them the music, a bit of earth. Oh, and okay. And because of uh, the atmosphere of the music, 
they improvise together. And I love the way they look at each other, the way they took their hands. It's magic. And we did one shot. Oh, that's wow. it. It's wonderful. No, that's a wonderful addition. No, I was very happy to do it. And uh, the other things I decided to do was the moment, you know, at the very end of the movie, when you can see lean, old, so coming back to the apartment of the 50s mm -hmm. during, you know, the letter. Right. You can hear her reading the letter and you can see her strolling inside the apartment. And at the, at the beginning, when I proposed this to Lynn, she said, never. Huh. I will never come back to a place where I suffer. I say, yes, I can understand. But Lynn, this is time for peace. You have to make peace with your past before going. Right. And she said, okay, if it's about peace, I can do it. <laughs> but right. then we put her inside the, the apartment with a uh, the guy with the camera and I put the music once again so she improvised you know I didn't ask her you know to stay in front of a red armchair a long time I didn't ask her to sit on the bed this way and then to lay down and switch off the light right. everything came because of the atmosphere of the music this moment she was not with us she was in her Fantasy. Wonderful. And very useful for me at the editing for this moment of the movie. Is there anything about the movie that I haven't asked you that you think is an interesting point to bring up? It's also a movie about domestic violence. Ah, good point. Yes. The subject of domestic violence. You know, I was, I am a lucky guy because we travel all around the world with this movie. The U.S. is the last territory. And um, I can tell you that everywhere on every continent. The subject of the domestic violence is crucial, is very high. So we try in everywhere, the people try to, to do something against this, which is very difficult because it's about private life. Right. And so the rights, uh, the law, uh, how to find the good law, you know, it's very delicate, but I wanted to do it also because of this subject. And of course, it has an interesting, because it was in the 50s, so women didn't have the same rights and they couldn't go to the police and say, look, my husband's beating me up. So no, 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 no. that perspective makes it more impactful, I think. Yeah, exactly. One question I usually I like to ask people, the last question, I don't know if it'll be the same for you because you're over there in Paris, but when you're not working on a movie, what do you like to watch? Oh, it's funny because um, when I was in New York for the release of Driving Madeleine, you know, they decided to show some of my previous movies. Mm -hmm. And I asked them to create a Steven Spielberg's movie named Duel. Oh, wow. I love that movie. Yeah. His early TV movie. Yeah. Footnote. Duel was Steven Spielberg's first movie on TV in 1971. It follows a traveling salesman who is terrorized by a truck driver. Because this movie is very important for me. Hmm. It's a masterpiece. It's a lesson of cinema. It's very uh, Hitchcock movie, sort of way, you know? Uh -huh, right. And uh, it's also the beginning of Joe's. This right. truck is like a, a shark, in sort hmm. of way, you know? Well, so I decided to, to make a Q&A with the audience in New York, talking about not my movie, but Steven Spielberg movie. Huh. I love to watch what we call the old movies. The, uh -huh. the old movies are still very alive. 
and Durer is very alive. Yeah, I haven't seen it since the first runs. I'll have to go back and check it out at some time. I remember being impressed with it when I saw it originally. Yeah, because Stephen was just 23. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shooting in 23 days, I remember, and uh, everything was there. Well, Christian Carillon, I want to thank you so much for joining me from Paris today. It was a beautifully sweet and surprisingly deep and poignant film because you think, like I mentioned at the beginning, it's going to be this sweet little story about a, a sweet little old lady. But no, there's a depth to it that's very powerful and makes it much more nuanced and impactful. So I want to thank you for that and uh, thank you for the movie. My pleasure. And I wanted to surprise you and to move you in such a way. And you certainly did. Thank you, Jerry. And thank you for the quality of your questions. Oh, thank you. So I can feed it and you know what is about cinema. Right, right, right. That's my background. Thank you again. Thank you, Jerry. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was director Christian Carillon talking about shooting Driving Madeline, which is now playing at Movieland. There's a link to the movie and my review on the webpage for this show at tvjerry.com. Coming soon. In theaters. Lisa Frankenstein, a goth teen, tries to resurrect her Victorian boyfriend. Written by Diablo Cody and starring Cole Sprouse as the creature. Out of Darkness, this thriller is set in 43,000 BC, when a group of early humans discover an evil force hunting them down. The Monk and the Gun, an American travels to Bhutan searching for a treasure and meets a young monk in this country trying to establish a democracy. How to Have Sex. Two British teens go for a beach vacation where wildness happens and supposedly sex. Anyone but you, the recent biggest grossing rom-com has added some extra scenes just for Valentines. Speaking of Valentines, these movies will open next Wednesday. Madam Web, the latest Marvel entry stars Dakota Johnson as a clairvoyant paramedic who forges a relationship with three Spider-Man women. Bob Marley, One Love, a look at the popular reggae singer at his prime, played by Kingsley Ben-Adir. The Taste of Things. Juliette Binoche plays a celebrated chef who's been working for the same man for 20 years, played by Benoit Majumel. What's interesting is that the two actors were married 20 years ago and have been estranged until they got together to make this movie. TV and streaming. The Daily Show returns to Paramount Plus with Jon Stewart anchoring every Monday night and other reporters covering the rest of the week. One Day on Netflix. This rom-com stars Anne Hathaway and Jim Sturgis, who spend one night together before graduating from college, and then they decide to reunite every year on that day. The New Look on Apple. Ben Mendelsohn plays fashion designer Christian Dior, who's in competition with Coco Chanel, played by Juliette Binoche. Players on Netflix. Gina Rodriguez and Damon Wayans star in this rom-com. Suncoast on Hulu. Nico Parker plays a teen who becomes the center of a national human rights debate about her brother's hospice with Laura Lenny and Woody Harrelson. Next week, internationally known black poet Nikki Giovanni talks about the new Max documentary on her life called Going to Mars, The Nikki Giovanni Project. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. For more Sister, including literally thousands, thousands of, of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.